No playing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to D22, the tabletop role-playing podcast for the die decides our topic. I am Dylan. And I'm Christopher Bartlett. Uh, <laughs> I hope he listens to this one. Uh, today we're going to talk about Scum and Villainy, which is a fun Forged in the Dark system game. Um, and I I, th- I think it's rad, but this, this episode just is going to kind of by necessity be very short. Because there's just not a whole lot to talk about it as for am unless i go way deep into the setting which i don't want to do in this one uh i want to have the settings for these games uh like blades in the dark band blades scum and villainy be their own separate episodes so we'll get to those at some point but as a result this one's just going to kind of be short like maybe a hair over the 10 minute mark (laughs) actually because of just how similar it is to blades in the dark there's barely any differences, unfortunately. So it starts It starts with you making a character in a very similar way to Blades in the Dark. You've got, here's this many points that you can spend on um, distributing your action roles. Here's you know your various different background options. Here's your various different heritage options. And you kind of, in a very short span of time, can throw together a character with just some basic role-playing aspects to... Get yourself into it because like Blades in the Dark, again, this is a very, very role play heavy game. So it's really meant to be more of a here's what my character is like and here's how I want to role play rather than here's all these mechanics that I need to go through. The mechanics are exactly the same Two Blades in the Dark where your action rating will determine how many D6s you get to roll. Uh, if your highest roll is a one, two or three, you fail the roll. If it's a four or five, you succeed, but... And if it's a six, you just succeed. If you roll two six two sixes, ugh, talking's hard. Uh, that's a critical success, and you do it with increased effect. You do still have that same system where it is you have a position, either controlled, risky, or desperate, and an effect level either being increased, standard, or reduced. And depending on your position and your effect, you will accomplish specific goals either very well or not very well or not at all. And um, that game, it really just plays like a game of Blades in the Dark, but in a new setting, whereas Blades in the Dark is kind of the grimdark. You're all trapped in the city of Doskval, and there's ghosts, and there's demons, and you're doing magic, and there's the ghost field, and you can tap into it. Instead, this one is very sci-fi. Some of our Star Wars fans may even recognize the title of the system being a quote from Star Wars. A more wretched hive of scum and villainy you'll never see, said Obi-Wan Kenobi. The one major difference mechanically this game has where there is a system that is optional in Blades in the Dark, it is a core mechanic in Scum and Villainy, and that is called Gambits. The Gambit system is there's only three crew types in this one rather than the like seven there are in Blades in the Dark. Um, one crew gets no gambits, uh, another crew gets one gambit per session, another crew gets two gambits per session. You can spend a gambit, and it is a crew-based resource, so anyone in your team can spend these, but you also kind of want to keep them available uh, so that anyone can use them. Um, and if you spend a gambit, you gain an extra die on a roll. 
Um, you also still have the, you can push yourself, somebody can aid you, you have the um, devil's bargains that you can do to gain extra dice. So anyone can do anything still. The gambits are just a new core of the system feature because unlike Blades in the Dark, where the maximum action, action rating for any action you can do is four, in Scum and Villainy, they've reduced it to three to give you more of a sense of desperation and you needing to use kind of luck and finesse to get through things rather than just being so good at something that you can do it pretty much without fail. So is there a trade-off for the uh, the crews that get the gambits? You said like one of them gets none, one gets one, one gets two, or is that just like, here's how you can set the difficulty for your game? Um, the trade-off comes in um, because you are a spacer crew, you have ships. So your crew gets a ship rather than a uh, like a hideaway or something. And the ones that have more gambits have kind of, I don't want to say shittier, but kind of less reliable ships. So, you know, maybe this is more of a setting thing, but like what do the ships do? What makes it less awesome? Um, well, let me grab the book and we will talk about the ships by example. If I can find the crews. So uh, the three crew types are the Cerberus the Fire Drake, and the Star Dancers. The Star Dancers don't get any starting gambits. Their ship, um, it has one point in engines, meaning they have a jump drive and they have afterburners immediately available, so they can move around between systems. They have two points in hull, meaning they have a cargo hold and smuggling compartments already installed. Uh, they have no comms. Um, but they have fire, fire drake, transponders, and quantum encryptors available, and they have no weapons. So their ship, the Star Dancers, they are smugglers and merchants, um, and they're immediately very well off to be able to go through systems very quickly. Um, they have a freighter-sized ship and some false papers and smugglers rigging and all kinds of you know dark hyperspace lane maps, things like that, that will make them be able to get through these things actually pretty easily. Um, the Cerberus are bounty hunters. They have two in comms, one in engines, and one in weapons. Um, and they are meant to get into the fights. They're meant to take their ship, they're going to go in, and they're going to start blasting things to pieces. Meaning they are immediately going to be in the thick of it, and they get gambits. Um, starting gambits. You'll need a little bit more luck if you're going to immediately be you know, getting the cops on your tail. Um, and then the fire drakes are dead ass rebels. They are criminals. They're going around. They're doing rebel shit. They have uh, a large Corvette ship that cannot land on planets because it's just so big. Um, they have one in engines, one in hull and one in weapons, but they have all kinds of black market contacts, uh, a secret base that they can go to. Um, and they are meant to just be super lucky because they're the rebels, so they have two starting gambits instead of the one that the Cerberus has or the zero that the Star Dancers have. So you talked about having things installed, so these ships are able to be like tailored to how you want to use them, other than like the initial kind of loadout. Yeah. So as a crew gets upgrades in um, Blades in the Dark, and you can kind of upgrade your um, base of operations and like get more turf and stuff. Uh, as you're doing those kind of style upgrades during your downtime, um, after missions and stuff in Scum and Villainy, 
you are instead spending those resources to upgrade your ship because you don't have just a specific territory, a specific turf that you hang around all the time that you're going to be working from. You have a ship. You can jump between systems. You can go from planet to planet. So that's what they intend for you to do. As a result, you're going to be drawing more attention to yourself and in the ship that you're going to be in most of the time. So you get ship upgrades instead of turf upgrades. Okay, that's very cool. Um, to to kind of back up a little bit, you know, you talked about the gambits and those being like a crew-wide thing. So is that a per-session resource, and do you get the one or two per person in the crew, or is it that it's a shared resource, you only get one or two, depending on the crew you pick? It is a shared resource for the entire crew. So the servers they... having one gambit means your crew will start with one gambit at the beginning of each uh, score. And that's the only one you start with. And and that doesn't accrue. So uh, so the next, I think you said score, would be how you divide the session. So each score you start with one, but you don't. if you don't use it, you don't get to carry it over? No. There is a way to get more gambits for your crew, however. So if you are on a risky or a desperate roll, and you manage to roll a six as your result, your crew will gain one gambit as you have done a lucky thing and your stockpile of luck increases. Oh, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. um, if you use a gambit on that roll, however, to get the six, you cannot get a gambit from that. So funny enough, um, that's most of it, actually. Uh, most of the uh, changes. For the rest of it, it's basically like if you know how to play Blades in the Dark, you know how to play this game. Um, some of the backgrounds and stuff are a little different. Like, for example, like you're flying around in space. There's... Aliens. You can play as an alien uh, by choosing the Xeno background. And they're not necessarily going to have like weird special abilities that humans wouldn't necessarily be able to have, but they're not human and they can role play very strangely because they're kind of ostracized by this massive human hegemony. Uh, and that tends to affect role play a lot. Uh, there is also a distinct lack of magic in this system. Whereas in Blades in the Dark, you had the ghost field and you had like the whispers who could attune to the ghost field and kind of do weird things at any given time. There is some of that in Scum and Villainy because there is an ancient alien race that was like the precursor race to all life in this galaxy. They're called the Ur. And you can find Ur artifacts. And if you attune to those, you can kind of do some semi-magic, semi-advanced technological things. I mean... Can you use a force? I, no, I don't think so. What about like lightning? I, mean, I guess if you have an Ur artifact, it lets you use lightning. <laughs> oh, are those so? So that's interesting. Do you, that totally just RP? Like you can make him do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. As a as a as one of these like super open ended systems, like the Ur artifacts aren't specific things. They're just kind of whatever you have them to be. So, okay. Actually, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's not like you like have elemental weaknesses or anything. I mean, I guess everything is roleplay. You just have your stats that you're rolling. So, yep. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so to run through uh, what the playbooks are, um, just real quick, uh, you have mechanic, which can craft new devices, keep your ship up, kept up, um, or do hacking, you have muscle, which they're, you know, the fighters. They get in, they punch stuff. Uh, mystics are good at dealing with the way, which is kind of the force equivalent, 
in this. Um, but again, right. like it's not like there is the ghost field like in Blades in the Dark, and you can tap into the way whenever you certain mystics can do certain things. Uh, pilots are pilots, scoundrels. Uh, they get love getting into and out of trouble, and they like pressing their luck and being sneaky. Speakers are the party face, and the stitch is your scientist and your medic. Each one gets a starting ability um, and a list of special abilities that they can pick from. Um, some of them will have special armors. Um, your heritage, uh, you can be an Imperial from one of the core worlds. You can be a spacer where you grew up on a ship. Uh, colonists are people who live on colonies, possibly in one of the fringe world. There are manufactured families, which could be anything from like literal robots um, to like people who are being placed in specific family units for specific reasons, either by like a merchant guild or something like that. Uh, the wanderers are the people who don't have a planet to call home. They just kind of go from place to place. And then the Xenos heritage, where you are just one of the weird Xenos that are part of the hegemony that are being racially discriminated against. Your backgrounds are academic, laborer, a cultist, a gilder, working for one of the merchant guilds, uh, a military man, a noble, or a syndicate member being part of an organized crime gang. And then you get to assign your four action dots. You get one friend and one rival. And you get a vice being either faith, gambling, luxury, obligation, pleasure, stupor, stupor or weird. Those being the same as uh, Blades in the Dark. And you get a name, an alias, and a look. Things are entirely up to you of your roleplay discretion. The loadout is something I actually didn't describe very well in the Blades in the Dark episode, but I will describe it here so that people who listen to both for whatever reason will know how that works. So at the beginning of each score, you will choose what level of load that you walk in with. You can have a light load, which will be one to three, a normal load being four to five, or a heavy load being six to eight. A light load means you are faster and inconspicuous. You blend in pretty well. A normal load looks like you're ready for trouble. You may not necessarily be like going out to seek it, but like you're going to have like a weapon on your hip or something that people will notice. And a heavy load means you look like you're on a mission and trying to cause shit. Um, that mostly plays into the role play uh, in terms of like your loadout being how conspicuous and stuff you are. It's not like, you know, I have a heavy load, so I take a minus on rolls or anything like that. Uh, it just kind of means that if you're trying to sneak in somewhere and you got this big kit full of like all this heavy scoundrel gear and several weapons, someone's like, hey, maybe take a step back and don't come anywhere near me. And the way that that like, works. Oh, go ahead. I, I feel like that could like play into this setting a little bit, though. I mean, you know, obviously, if you're like, uh, yeah, I guess you haven't gone through the setting, but if you're on like a a planet in like a civilian area, obviously like carrying about around a big rifle, probably not great. But if you're doing some of the the troublemaker type things, you know, you're going somewhere, you're visiting. Let's call them space docks, uh, where they're space whaling. Uh, <laughs> they might kind of be used to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So the way that load works is that you just choose what your load is before you go on a score. So if you have a light load, it just means you have up to three load. And it's not that you choose the specific items that you go in with. 
You don't pick anything beforehand. The way that these games work is very reactive because it's meant to be like, hey, we've planned all this out in advance. We've always thought 10 steps ahead. That's the way that the characters are meant to come off. But of course, you know, not everyone in real life is good at that kind of thing. Um, Take all the wizards who have all these utility spells that they never use in a game of Pathfinder because they thought, hey, being able to unlock a door would probably be a good idea. And they don't encounter a single door for an entire dungeon. So the way it works is if you have any empty load and you come across something, say there is a locked door and you have three load, you've used none of it. You can say, well, it's a good thing I brought my lock picks. And then you mark off one of your load to be your set of lock picks and you have your lock picks on you now. That is actually super cool. It's very cool the way they do it, because it means that your character is always going to come across as having planned ahead and knowing what they need in advance, even though you don't. Now, if you've used up all your load, say you only took a light load and you've already ticked off all three and a situation comes up where you could have brought an item, but you don't have any load left. At that point, it's kind of tough titty. You don't have any load left and you only took a light load. You can't suddenly say, well, actually, I brought medium and I had all this equipment because it could be that having a light load meant you were inconspicuous enough to walk past the guards in the front and not be stopped and frisked or whatever. So, um... Oh, what was it? Uh, so if you roll like anything less than a six, um, you know, I get that four and five are succeeds, but but uh, do any of the effects that happen if you roll too low, would those affect the load that you have on you? Like is, is one of the uh, uh, penalties that you like lose a load or something? Uh, not specifically that. It can be a thing that a... Uh... It could be like a potential devil's bargain thing where you lose an item or it could be like maybe you brought your blaster and you failed a risky roll and you decide to um, push it so that you're now in a desperate position. Uh, It could be that the desperate position means like, well, maybe your blaster uh, is out of ammo, but you swing at him instead. Um, it, It really comes up situation to situation for the final bit. Um, XP triggers the way that you advance. Every one of these um, playbooks will have a set of XP triggers, things that if you've done during a uh, score, you will gain an experience point. So, for example, the mechanic. Um, I'll wear your XP triggers. It doesn't put them in the thing. Well, this is just very silly. Well, while you're looking for that, so um, I think it bleeds in the dark. I forget how many... I don't remember what they call them, but like essentially the classes in the game. Do, do you remember Playbooks. off the top of your head? Yeah, uh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, how many are there? Um, there are what I just mentioned: the mechanic, the muscle, the mystic, the pilot, scoundrel, no, speaker, no, in, stitch. In uh, in Blaze of the Dark, it it sounded like there were more in in this version. Uh, I just didn't know because I I think we had had a. a non-recorded conversation uh where i was kind of asking about like man it sure does seem like you can like build up heat very quickly how do people kind of deal with that and he said oh you know depending on your group size you know people may play multiple characters and so uh in scum and villainy it sounded like there were more playbooks to choose from but you know i don't know that that's true and so i didn't know if it if it kind of played into that same uh, having multiple characters to kind of be able to swap, you know, in between uh, for different sessions, you know, might be beneficial. 
Um, so that's a so it's the same amount of playbooks available, um, and that's really just going to be like a crew to crew thing. So of course, if you've only got two people playing, having only two PCs, it means that your stress and your heat could accrue very quickly. And if you don't roll very well, and you're just your character is being very stressed, uh, it, it could be very beneficial to have more than one. Um, PC either to play two characters during a score if you want to do it that way. So, of course, some people are not very good at managing multiple characters at once. Um, having them be able to be swapped out and kind of manage their stress and stuff individually, of course, is another option. It's it's a fun idea, and it's one I definitely like, is having kind of all these extra crew members on the back burner. Uh, but that's really going to be like a crew-to-crew thing, whether or not right. that's uh, something that you and your GM want to set up to do. So as an example for the XP triggers, um, the mechanic, uh, it says when you play a mechanic, you earn XP whenever you address challenges with technical skill or ingenuity. And because there's not like a list of specific XP triggers, so this one is also a little bit different than Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark, you have XP triggers and there's like some common ones and then there's some crew specific ones and it's like a list. And you go down that list and you say, did I do this this session? Yes, I get an XP for that. Did I do this this session? Yes, I get an XP for that. Um, it's, it looks like each one really only has, like, like, if you play a mechanic, if you address a problem like a mechanic, you gain an XP. So it looks like you could get XP from that same trigger multiple times. Uh, like for a muscle, it's using force or threats. Um, for a mystic, it's by addressing challenges with wisdom or using the way. I don't know what the way is. <laughs> It's how you get swole. It's the protein. I love that. <laughs> um, but that that's something that I'll, I'm, I'm going to read up on the setting and how this works. And we'll do another episode on that at some point. going to add those to the list. Uh, but I, that's actually going to be about it. Do you have any final questions or final thoughts? Uh, no, I think you just about covered it. All right, cool. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, socials are we got a Twitter I'm still kind of probationary on that if I'm going to keep the Twitter because of what's happening with that. Uh, Facebook.com slash D20Ds if you want to find us there. Um, and we've got a Discord down in the description if you'd like to join us and have a pleasant conversation about how I don't actually know anything about the setting for Scum and Villainy yet. And we will roll the die and see what next week's episode is going to be. Alright, make sure you check us out on OnlyFans. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> I rolled an 8. Do you know what 8 is on this list, Zach? No. It's the Space Wolves. It is oh, the Sons of Ross. The Volk of Fenrika. Was that? I said, I'll be absent next week. <laughs> I think you often talk to yourself about this. <laughs> All right, so thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week, and goodbye. Love you. <laughs>